So we looked at this passage in Genesis 15 of God speaking to Abraham. And he says to him, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. So he hears those words from God. What's going on in his heart at that point? Well, we're told what's going on in the next verse. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. You see, there was a spirit of faith and trust. So that spirit of faith that was at work in Abram's heart It is the same spirit that is available to us through Christ Jesus. Uh, That same faith to help us in our messy and often mundane day-to-day lives. And all of their anxiety and all of their problems and all of their boredom. That same spirit of faith calls to us and helps us to believe in the Lord, to have the kind of heart and the faith that says, okay, you know what? Lord, I'm going to try it your way. Because I've been here a hundred different times, and I freak out every time, and I regret the things I say, I regret the things I do. This time, I'm going to try it your way, Lord. So this is one of the reasons why the kingdom of God was such a matter of urgency to Christ Jesus. Because once we step into God's government, you think of his kingdom, a kingdom is a government, a kingdom is a reign, we live even now, this life, with a whole other list of options than we previously had available to us. We have new resources. We have an unimaginable inheritance that we get to partake in. I see the heralds back there. So happy. Welcome back. See, in Jesus Christ, in God's kingdom, a disciple of Jesus, you have more options than just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That isn't the only option available to me. In Jesus, you don't have to live from a place of fear that says, do unto others before they get a chance to do unto me. Because you know they will. In Christ Jesus, I have other options. So uh, today as we start Matthew's Gospel... The, the writer, the gospel writer Matthew, he really highlights how Jesus' life, it parallels the story of Israel. Jesus' life both affirms and in its own way retells the narratives of the Hebrew Scriptures. So if you've looked at Matthew chapter 1, it begins with a very lengthy genealogy. And... Uh, It directly ties Jesus 
to the story of Israel, and it follows the descendants back, uh, back through the exile, uh, back before the exile to David, back before the kingdoms, all the way back to Abraham himself. And so there's a lot of treasure in these genealogies uh, in Matthew and Luke, but we're not have time to kind of unpack those right now. I don't know if I might revisit them at some point, but there's good stuff in there. Uh, and there's reasons for those. Um, part of the reasons is that ties us to the story of what God is doing. There's a continuity that flows throughout history. So after this genealogy, though, you will look at these first four chapters of Matthew, and there it is just chuck full of Old Testament prophecies. Uh, all of these prophecies that are being quoted uh, is a way that the story is being retold. And so we're going to take a moment and look at some of those briefly this morning. Matthew is telling the story of Israel in the life of Jesus. So there's a birth a son named Jesus. Jesus is a Greek form of the name Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. So this guy named the Lord saves, who saves his people from, the, from their sins. It's uh, Matthew chapter 1, quoting Isaiah seven fourteen. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then there's a Messiah who is born a son of David in Bethlehem, and he will shepherd God's people. That's Matthew chapter 2, quoting from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. There's an Egypt event. The family flees Egypt for refuge and is called back to Israel from there. You remember the details of that story? The Magi come, these astrologers, wise men from the east, and they go and they visit with Herod the Great. Herod finds out about this, and he does not want the competition. And he does not, and so... Uh, uh, he really secretly planned to just out this baby of prophecy and get rid of him. And uh, um, he was outsmarted by angels and dreams and things like that. And then he, in, in an act of rage and vengeance, he kills all of the infants of, um, of the little town of Bethlehem. And I don't know population-wise what that would have amounted to at that time. So maybe 20 children or so lost their life in uh, that event. That's speculative on my part. But Joseph is warned in a dream, so they go down to Egypt and escape from the threat of persecution. So it says, out of Egypt I called my son, uh, quoting Hosea. Lament. The cries of Rachel for her children are cries for liberation from oppression. So this is Matthew chapter 2, quoting the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, uh, in an analogous way, is using the tears of Rachel uh, to just uh, as a powerful image to show the hardship of his time. And in the same way, the hardship 
uh, that these women of, and these families from Bethlehem are called and have to endure at the hands of Herod the Great. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. There is a crossing of the sea. The baptism of Jesus identifies him with the crossing story of the Red Sea. And uh, there's a crossing story later even of the River Jordan. So it's Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 that I think pretty clearly uh, draw on the same imagery for us. And then there is a wilderness testing for our Savior. Jesus is tested for 40 days in the wilderness just as Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 and 2 is clearly alluding to the events of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then an entrance into a promised land. Jesus enters Galilee from the wilderness to begin his ministry. So Matthew chapter 4, 13 through 17 is quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, which says this, Land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people, of, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So over and over and over again, in the first four chapters of Matthew's Gospel, you hear phrases like, uh, for this is what the prophet has written, or uh, to fulfill what is said through the prophet Isaiah, etc., etc., etc. So Matthew, what he's doing here is he's showing us that the story of Israel is in fact the story of our Christ. Continuity between what God did with his chosen people in the Old Testament, it's in line with what Christ does for us. Jesus' life is not events that took place in a vacuum. There's a rich legacy and story that is being told and told in a new way again. So all of these things, you can kind of think of it as an announcement and a, a certain resume of Jesus connecting to the rich heritage not just of God's people, but the rich heritage of the story of God's interactions in human history. Jesus is connected to all of the activities that God has undertaken. When God purposes to set up a kingdom to reign over in a unique way that promise comes to us through a son, Jesus Christ. So as Isaiah prophesied about one called God with us, so Jesus Christ, he comes to save the people from their sins. As David was a shepherd born in Bethlehem, 
So Jesus Christ is a ruler born in Bethlehem who comes to shepherd God's people. From that prophecy in Micah. Jesus was a son who was called out of Egypt. Jesus crosses over the water in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was tested in the wilderness. And Jesus enters the land to be a light for those who are in darkness. And so I tried to build a chart. I'm not particularly good at this kind of stuff, so you can bear with me. Hopefully you'll get the point. So there are all of these events in the story of Israel that are also true of the life of Jesus Christ. So there's this birth narrative. A Levite woman conceives and gives birth to a Savior. This story of Moses. And then we have a virgin conceives and gives birth to, capital S, Savior. God's anointed. David is a shepherd ruler from Bethlehem. A ruler born in Bethlehem who will shepherd God's people, Jesus. Egypt. Jacob flees, his family flees from famine in order to find safety in Egypt. Joseph moves his family to flee violence for the safety of Egypt. Lament. Rachel weeps over violence done to Jerusalem by Babylon in the time of the exile. She also weeps over the violence done to the infants of Bethlehem. Water. Israel receives her identity as God's firstborn through crossing the sea. Jesus is anointed as God's chosen at his baptism in the River Jordan. Wilderness. Israel's tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days. Israel enters a promised land. Abraham and his descendants, the call of the children of Abraham is that they are meant to be a light to the nations. And in some ways, maybe they have fulfilled that, but they have not fulfilled that entirely. And that is the same call to us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we are meant to be a light to shine in the darkness. So you get this? You get this story that is happening here? This retelling of a familiar story is echoed and affirmed and in its own way expanded in the person of Jesus Christ himself. So Matthew begins his gospel highlighting all of these points of continuity between Israel and Jesus and the events of, of Jesus' life. Uh, let's just beat this horse again. Uh, they didn't happen in a vacuum. They are grounded in a very uh, real, historical, ancient history, uh, 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 ancient narrative. So once Matthew establishes Jesus' story grounded in the story of Israel, it's at that point in his gospel that ministry begins. And what is the announcement of that ministry? So you get all of this history, all of these credentials, all of this resume building up to this ministry of Jesus Christ. What is that ministry? 
Matthew tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of heaven is Matthew's term for the kingdom of God. Uh, But for our purposes, essentially, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, they are one and the same. In the announcement of the nearness of God's kingdom, it is the exact same message preached by John the Baptist, preached by one who was to be like a prophet to prepare the way of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It is the exact same message, word for word. Repentance, we think of as a heavy and a dirty thing, something uncomfortable. Who would want to repent? It's embarrassing. It's it's an admission of guilt. I would never do that, you know, kind of thinking. But really... What repentance means is think out your life strategy again. What's your life strategy? Well, if I get this education, I can do this. If I can find this person, maybe I can find some happiness there with them. If I could have this family, if I could, if I get to this 401k built up, someday I won't have to worry about where my next paycheck's coming from. I'll have to So there's all this stuff that consumes our thinking about our life strategy. How am I going to pay off these school loans? How am I going to... And the same announcement of Jesus Christ continues to be made in his church. Think out your life strategy again. In light of this new fact that the kingdom of heaven is available... This kingdom of heaven is available to you. So this world, in its anxiety, in its fear, in its fitfulness, in its temper tantrums, in its corruption, that's not the only story. That is not the only story. See, there's so many people who are living lives that are broken and anxious because they're living like this physical world is all there is and we're fighting over scraps. The reason why Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of heaven is such good news is that we get to live our life even in the midst of our current messes. We all have messes with a whole new set of options because The invitation of the gospel is that Christ's story, Christ's story which is grounded in this rich history of God's interaction with humanity, the invitation of the gospel is that you, in your life, can choose to be a part of that story as well. You can choose to be a part of that story as well. The story of Israel is the story of Christ. The story of Christ 
it becomes my own story as well through faith if I have the humility to accept it the perseverance to pursue it even when it's hard the faith to trust Jesus Christ is who he said he was and when you steal yourself on that level and you begin to live your life from a place like that that is a life worth living see it's funny to me people think the Christian life is boring I remember that growing up and I okay I know it's it's hard to endure guys up here preaching sometimes and I'm that guy now the Lord loves irony he has a great sense of humor and so many things they don't seem like big things they seem mundane and the things that we're going through sometimes there's no easy clear answer and it feels like I'm just on I'm, I'm, I'm in this on my own but when you really believe in Jesus Christ when you follow the promptings of His Holy Spirit made available to us, the Christian life is anything but boring. It's a life that can handle the messes we're in, the messes we've been through, and the messes that are yet to come. In Jesus Christ, I get to live a whole other set of options. So let's go back to this chart a second. Especially focus on those last three. Look, I'm going to use my laser pointer. Water, wilderness, land. Aren't we too, as disciples of Jesus, invited into these things, at least? Water. We can follow Jesus into the water. I'm invited. You're invited to follow Jesus into the water. Somewhere behind that screen, there is a baptistry, and we like to use that baptistry. So we're talking about, uh, it looks like Exodus. Jesus entered the water, we get to enter the water, and we enter in, we step into a whole big story, even the story of the Red Sea crossing. So in Jesus Christ, when I enter into the water, I can sing the song that Miriam sung. I will praise unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. All of those messes that have dogged me in my life, when I pass through these waters, I find deliverance. We're called into the wilderness. We follow Jesus as he followed the story of Israel, we follow Jesus into our own wildernesses. How many of you have wildernesses in your life? Have you ever had a wilderness time? Time of testing, time of doubt, time where it's just heavy. 
This COVID stuff has gone on for, it feels heavy. It's kind of refining and testing that's going on. And we follow our Savior into the wilderness. And, then, and that is, what a blessing that is to have Jesus as my Lord. That means I don't, my suffering counts for something. I don't waste my suffering with Jesus as my Lord. Jesus entered the Lord, entered the land to be a light for those sitting in a, a land of darkness. So like think of this, John 8:12 says, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." Jesus is that light, but he invites us to be that light as well. And I'm getting ahead of myself in Matthew's story, but it comes in the next chapter. You are the light of the world. You have that potential. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You can't hide a city that's sitting up on a hill. It shines its light for everyone to see. That is the story we're invited to step into. That is our legacy. So uh, I might explore these some a little bit more. Going back to Jesus' baptism, though. Why would the only sinless person in human history participate in a ritual that is meant to wash away and cleanse sin? Have you ever thought about that? There are certain ironies. Jesus' baptism is an irony in that sense. He had no sin to be washed away. So why does he think this is important? Another irony is the cross. An innocent man dying a criminal's death. An innocent man who dies a criminal's death. It's so rich, this story that we're a part of. So John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, he even recognizes something of this in Jesus. When Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Even John is trying to figure this out. But Jesus identifies with us. And he gives us an example as he steps across the water and enters the story of Israel. So we are invited to walk through the water and following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says this, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So let me ask you, have you followed Jesus into the water? simple question. There's complexity to that. I get that. Uh, 
One of the main reasons I think why adult baptism by immersion is an important thing is because I get to be the one who makes a choice. Am I going to take this story on as my story as well? Am I going to make the choice in my own life to follow Jesus into the water? And I haven't been heavy-handed about preaching baptism from this pulpit. Um, In fact, I knew a lady who was convicted, she's from another church tradition, that she wanted to be baptized. But she put it off for a really long time because she had some, in her words, described smug and pushy Church of Christ relatives that were dismissive of her being from a different denominational background. And they refused to acknowledge that she had a hitched history with the Lord and that God had been working in her life for a very long time. And so frankly, when this idea, she felt convicted to do this, it came up, she kind of didn't want to give them the satisfaction. So that was a certain thing she had to struggle with and work on. And so there's all this complexity for her. But then she just kept looking at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus long enough, things that are difficult and complex, they tend to get a lot more simple. So she was baptized by immersion into Christ for the, for the uh, remission of her sins. Not because of sound theological arguments like from Romans chapter 6 about entering in a watery grave and rebirth, but simply because she had a heart that said, I want to follow you, Jesus, into the water. Now, one of the things that I was really blessed with that really grew my faith was um, I I spent a lot of time studying in the realm of uh, spiritual formation, Christian spiritual formation. And I was part of a formation organization, group interdenominational called uh, Renovare. And uh, it was a life-giving event for me. But one of the strangest things that I remember observing, and I probably had a smug little smile on my face as a Church of Christ guy, how could I not? was a Lutheran gal being immersed by a Methodist in response to the preaching of a Catholic. Let that sink in a minute. And what it, came, what it comes down to, and this is always what it comes down to, sometimes... Jesus just becomes really big. And the other stuff, it becomes a lot smaller. And she had a heart that just simply said, I want to follow Jesus into the water. Praise God. Just like Israel passed through the water to escape danger and enter the promised land, so when I follow Christ, I also pass through the water to escape danger. 
So we follow Jesus into the water. We follow Jesus into the wilderness. We follow Jesus into lands that are filled with darkness in order to become a light. All of this is what discipleship is all about. It's all about learning to follow Jesus Christ. And everywhere he goes, that heart that says, Lord Jesus, I don't care, I will follow you. And as we follow Jesus into the water, as we follow Jesus into suffering, as we follow Jesus into the mission of God, somewhere along the way, we, we're just following Jesus. And he's so beautiful. And somewhere along the way, and it always comes to us as a surprise, we look up and we look around. And we realize in some way already we have stepped into the kingdom of heaven. And our faith that grows, where there was all this confusion before, now there is clarity. When there was despair, now there's hope. You see, immediately after Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The very next words that Matthew records coming out from Jesus' mouth are what? The next red letters, if you have a red letter Bible edition. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. Is that not an invitation? to join in a glorious story. Follow me, and I'll show you how to catch people. And I'll save your life, and I'll save theirs too. The more you look at Jesus, he's so beautiful, the more you want to follow him. The more you follow him, the more beautiful he becomes even still. It's joy upon joy upon joy, even in the middle of our messes in our messy world. And eventually, this, this journey of discipleship, this journey of following Jesus' call, it changes us. We are transformed by the power of the kingdom of heaven. We are transformed by the grace of our Lord and our God. And when we grow and we walk that path of following long enough, it becomes the desire of our heart. Think about our friend Paul, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, a Christian hunter. 
who thought he knew it all, everything he needed to know in regard to the Lord his God, until Jesus Christ appeared to him. And it tore him apart to build him back together. The hardships this man faced, and then eventually the image of Christ formed in him to the point where that was his heart's desire. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Dylan, you can come up. I'm wrapping up. He goes on to say, not that I have obtained this, all of this, or have already been made perfect. He knew that he wasn't perfect yet. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. To take hold of Christ, and he discovers Christ has already taken hold of me. That's part of our discipleship journey as well. Taking hold of what? Taking hold of your life and your own story. So that your life and your story can be rediscovered in the story of Jesus. That is the great invitation to us of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens, that we get to step in to this story where your life becomes all about your response to a Savior who calls out to you and says, Come. Come. Come, follow me. And the adventure continues. And there's some of us who are new disciples. There's some of us who aren't disciples of all, at all. There's some of us who have been disciples for a very long time. And we answer that call again and again and again to the Lord Jesus when he says, come follow me. You see, it's a pilgrimage life that he enter, calls us to enter into. He calls us through the water. He calls us through the wilderness. He calls us to become a light in dark places. So uh, we offer an invitation and uh, we offer this invitation every week, and I don't always get around to uh, saying it explicitly. But for anyone who wants to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism to pass through the waters, to make him Lord in truth, and to begin that journey of a lifetime, you always have an opportunity for that. And uh, if you need the prayers of this church, if there's some way that we can help you, you can come and uh, I'll be right up here and you can express those things to me. This is the story of the kingdom of God and invites us to live into it as well. So whatever's happening in this life and in this world, we don't have to be afraid. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's stand and sing together.